Welcome to Behold and Become, a podcast about faith with me, Robert Black. Welcome to episode 43 of Behold and Become. Today, we're diving into the first of the models in the series on atonement. We're starting with what is called recapitulation. Now, that's not a word that most of us use on a regular basis. Now, you might hear the word capitulate in that word and think it has to do something with surrendering, but this is one of those words that when you add the prefix, it completely changes the meaning. To recapitulate is to state again the main points. In Latin, caput means head. It's where we get our word chapter. So to recapitulate means to go through heading by heading. In other words, recapitulation is about reconsidering and re-summarizing things. In short, the recapitulation theory of atonement is about retelling the story of creation. Humanity was in a state of sin with death as the end of the road for us all. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that story is retold so that sin is erased and death is dethroned of its final power over us. Now, the reason why we're starting with the recapitulation model of atonement is that arguably it's the earliest we have evidence for. Consider the words of St. Paul from 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so all will be made alive in Christ. So in this theory, Jesus is seen as the second Adam, the new Adam. He is a recapitulation, a retelling of the story of salvation and humanity. So no longer is salvation something that we need or are lacking as it was for Adam, but salvation is something that we have been given in Jesus. The story is changed. And again, in Romans 5, St. Paul makes this point. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all of sin. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet, death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgressions of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Now one of the things this atonement theory does very clearly is to connect the cross to the resurrection, and this is a good thing. This is why the liturgy of the Triduum, that is, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and the Easter Vigil, is properly understood as one liturgy, not four separate ones, or three if you're going to ignore Holy Saturday, as most people do. But salvation happens throughout the entirety of the Passion of Jesus, not just for those three hours on the cross, and not only on Easter morning. It's about the whole story. And so the recapitulation model of atonement roots salvation in both death and resurrection. The early bishop, 
Irenaeus, who lived roughly from 125 to 202, champions this view of recapitulation. He sees Jesus as the second Adam, who reverses the curse of the first Adam with the grace of the second. Adam was disobedient to the tree of knowledge, and Jesus was crucified on a tree. Irenaeus also connects Eve to Mary. Justin Martyr, also writing in the 100s, says that in Jesus, God was summing up his own handiwork in himself. In other words, Jesus is the conclusion of creation as it is laid out in Genesis. Now, notice the claim is not that Jesus is the ending of the story, because creation did not cease at the resurrection. Instead, we are given the gift of living in history, in this story, in light of the resurrection. We see this points towards Ephesians 1.10, where it says that God gathers up all things in Jesus Christ as the plan for the fullness of time. And so recapitulation is the making and the bringing of this plan to its fulfillment. In her book titled The Crucifixion, Fleming Rutledge connects the Passover and the Exodus to the death of Jesus. Now, to be clear, she is not advocating, nor am I, the supersessionist view, which is that Christianity has replaced or superseded Judaism. No, that is not at all what we want to say. Rather, it's the realization that if a motif is good enough for God to use once, why not twice? So there's a sense that the motif of the Passover and the Exodus are recapitulated, they're made new in Jesus. The Exodus event, recorded in the biblical book of the same title, is about rescue from death, and that's the Passover part, and about deliverance from slavery, that's the Exodus part. Now, it would be the subject of another series, but there are also clear Eucharistic connections to the Passover and the cross. And drawing on this connection, Rutledge writes, The Passover and the Exodus are reflected in the Lord's Supper in a number of ways, all of which underscore the active presence of God doing something completely new, even as the ancient saving event is recalled as the prototype. The something completely new is that this time, instead of intervening from on high as in the Exodus, the intervention has taken place from within God's own life in the form of the Son's self-offering. End quote. So we might say that the Passover and the Exodus find their teleological end in the cross. Now, on the motif of recapitulation specifically, Rutledge devotes an entire chapter in her book. She notes that one way of understanding this view is to see Jesus as the representative of all of humanity. So all that happens to him happens to us. We die to sin, and we rise in glory just as Jesus did. She draws this point out by noting that recapitulation involves participation. It's not merely that in Jesus there's a new story unfolding, but rather that it is the story of creation, creation of which we are a part that is being summed up. And so we are a part of that summation and conclusion of all things. Now, in thinking about baptism and why it matters so much, she writes, quote, Baptism is not a simple bestowing of blessing. 
It signifies a radical change of eons, a snatching of the baptized person out of the enemy's clutches, and a transfer into the age to come, end quote. We become a part of the new creation, the new story of salvation that has been recapitulated in our baptism. In summarizing the chapter, Rutledge offers the following powerful and hope-filled sentence. Because he has rewritten the story, we are no longer prisoners of our worst selves, nor of the evil powers that would destroy us. Amen to that. Now, in this reading, the cross, we might say, flips the script. It not only changes the course, but also the meaning of history. And this is a point that James Cone makes in his outstanding book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. In it, he writes, quote, The cross is a paradoxical religious symbol because it it inverts the world's value system with news that hope comes by the way of defeat, that suffering and death do not have the last word, that the last shall be first and the first last, that God could make a way out of no way in Jesus' cross was truly absurd to the intellect, yet profoundly real in the souls of black folk. End quote. Here, Cohn is writing about how the cross provided liberating hope and confidence in the face of racial terrorism and violence in American history. And this power is because the cross gives us another narrative to live by. It recapitulates the story of violence and tells us that violence and degradation do not win in the end. This theme will be picked up in a later atonement theory, so I don't want to go too deeply into it right now, but this is a part of the power of this particular model of atonement. It's not about otherworldly status, because it transforms the living of our days. Put another way, we might say that recapitulation gives us the end of the story, which influences how we live in the meantime. Think about watching a great epic movies maybe something like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, or Star Wars. Now, you know that the protagonist is going to win in the end. There is no question that Frodo Baggins, Harry Potter, or Luke Skywalker are the heroes of the story. Now, along the way, some pretty challenging and scary things happen to them. But as the audience, though we feel anxiety as we're waiting for the story to unfold, we are not held in suspense about the ending. And so we know that in this challenging moment, that everything will work out in the end. Perhaps this is why I so cherish those words of wisdom from St. Julian of Norwich, who famously said, All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Such a statement only makes sense given the recapitulation model of atonement as we trust that the story of sin, death, evil, and estrangement from God is transformed into the story of grace, love, and atonement. So this week, you might think about the story that you live by. What is most central in your self-understanding and the story that you tell yourself 
about yourself and the world. And if the love of God is not at the center of that story that you live by, you might think about recapitulation as a way of having the saving and atoning love of Jesus on the cross at the center of your story. Because our story is a part of God's story, and it is a story of grace, redemption, and love. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of death. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the blessing of God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.